Uh, our reading this morning is um, two readings. Um, Psalm 62, first of all, uh, that's on page 579 of the Pew Bible. 579. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This, this leaning up wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighted on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. And then um, over to <coughs> Romans 8 uh, for the motto verse. And that can be found on page 1135. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thanks so much, Samuel. Uh, please keep Romans 8 open in front of you. Um, our normal practice here in Grosvenor is to teach through a passage of scripture, so a slightly longer passage. Um, we're really, well, we, we're going to focus on three verses this morning, but, but I suppose specifically on our, our motto verse, um, just at the beginning of the year. And um, as Alison said, uh, we needed to get it into our heads because I hadn't given you any way to take it home physically. If there's someone out there with gifts who could uh, make us a nice card that we could reproduce and stick on everyone's seats for next week. Come and chat to me afterwards. I'd love your help. Um, we could make a motto card for people to stick on their fridge or something. Uh, I'm going to ask for God's help as we come to hear him speak to us through his word. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we wonder at the reality that for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for us. We know that you've demonstrated your love for us in this, that Christ died for sinners like us. 
And yet as we face this world and all its challenges, sometimes we struggle to understand why certain things happen, even understand uh, what you are doing or what you're like as a result. Would you speak to us through your word for our encouragement, for your glory this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want you to think about this question. Do you think God is good? Now, of course, you know the right answer, but I want you to stop and have a think, okay? Do you think God is good? And if yes, and I assume for many of you this morning, uh, you still think God is good, what does that mean for you this year? So as you look into 2024, what will show you that God is good and that God is good for you? Have a think about that. Because this is what God promises, isn't it? So have a look. Chapter 8, verse 28 of Romans. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. If he promises this, then why does it seem like he's done such a bad job in the past year? Let me give you some real examples of real Christians of what they experienced in 2023. So there's the office worker. Her company was uh, taken over by another company, and now it means that she has to work very long hours and weekends. She's absolutely exhausted, no energy for anything else. The teenage boy, he's not growing while all his friends are. He's stuck in an 11-year-old's body, and the medics have no answer. A Ukrainian father, he really has no choice but to leave his home country. It's, it's not only because where he lived was so close to the border that when the sirens went, they had three minutes before the missiles began to land. But it was also really because his children had no schooling, no life. He just felt he had to bring the family out. The years of silent grief of that married couple. Every time another couple tells them that they're expecting... And yet for this couple, another month has gone by and they are not. The widow, who coped, has coped with that loneliness for many, many years, but is now struggling. Really, she's had enough. She wants God to take her because at this stage now, she cannot even walk. 
she cannot even see. God works for the good of those who love him. Does he really? How about for you? Because maybe for you, as you look back into 2023, well, you've experienced things that are not good. What we're going to see this morning is that rightly understood, verses 28 to 30, show that God is not just powerful, but that he cares deeply for us. Despite our circumstances, actually through our circumstances, he really is working for our good. Paul is telling these Christians in the bit before these verses that they are going to suffer. And so they need to know this. They need to know verses 28 to 30. And in fact, we're going to see two things that we need to know. Here's the first. Know this. God works for our good. Have a look at verse 28 again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Just notice for a start, this isn't a promise for everyone. It's uh, good for the good of those who love him, for those who've been called. So that's really shorthand here for Christians, those who, who know and follow the Lord Jesus, who are in Christ. Notice also, it's not saying that all things are good. So, you know, that temptation that we have as Christians that we sort of think we've got to put on super spiritual makeup and smile all the time. That's not what God is saying. Evil, sin, suffering, death are not good. What God is saying here is that he uses all things, the good and the bad, for his good purposes. Actually, what we find here is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. So the fact that God is not just seeing all that happens, but that he controls it. Now, that will lead to big questions for some of us. You know, does that mean we we don't make our own choices? Does that mean God is responsible for, for evil and suffering and injustice? Some Christians think... But the answer to those questions is to say, well, God mustn't be in control of everything. Actually, he he must have left us on our own with, with some freedom where we are completely on our own. And he only intervenes from time to time. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, loud and clear, two things, uh, that God really is in charge of all things. And yet we as human beings really do make real choices that really matter, that have real responsibilities. And, you know, in our heads, maybe we can't quite work out how that works. That doesn't mean it's illogical. It just means that God is bigger. He understands. We can't get our heads around it. And the Bible shows us, in fact, here in Romans, earlier in Romans, and even earlier in Romans 8, we see that all suffering ultimately is due to human sin and that God is not morally responsible for evil. But you might want to say, but 
does God really use bad for good? The ultimate example is the cross of Christ. Where it's not just bad, is it? It is the worst. So as Jesus' friends deserted him, denied him, as soldiers spat and mocked, as the crowds called out, crucify, as Jesus breathed his last and mankind killed their maker, it was the worst. And yet God was able to take that greatest wrong and use it for our greatest good. In fact, he planned it that way. He planned that he would take the devil's evil, mankind's conspiracy and sin, and use it to free us, to forgive us, to pardon us, to bear our sentence and give us life. To take the greatest evil and work for our greatest good. God works for our good. Actually, if you need proof that God will always work for our good, the cross is that. If you look a little bit further ahead to verse 32 of Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's the proof of God's commitment to us. God is able to use bad for good, and, and yet you might still want to go, okay, fine. But what about the things that I've suffered? What good really comes from that? And it may be that actually the problem is we have the wrong definition of good. Um, Anybody here like McDonald's? Put a hand in the air if you like McDonald's. Yeah, there's a few, and it's not just the younger generation. I can see a few. Uh, Oh, yes, yeah, even even some grandparents putting their hands in the air. Um, There's an ongoing debate in our house uh, as to what good food is. Some think it's McDonald's, you know, a quarter pounder with cheese and bacon and fries and fizzy drinks or or chicken nuggets and a McFlurry, that that is good. And things like courgettes and green beans, they are not good. Now, is that right? Is that what you think? Well, it depends on your definition of good. God wants our good. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he will necessarily make my life more comfortable or always give us what we want. What is God's good? Well, actually, it's explained in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many Brothers, what does God want? He wants us to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. What the kids are going to be learning upstairs today is that we are originally made by God in the likeness 
of God. That was who we were supposed to be, and yet sin has marred that image, distorted it. Jesus came, and he is the perfect image of God. And for those of us who are saved by Jesus, it is so that we might become increasingly who we were meant to be. Again, the image of God. Again, like Jesus. And actually, when we're in our right minds, isn't this what we really want more than anything else? To be like the one who who loved the Father, loves the Father perfectly, always got everything right. And yet, as he did that, those who failed and were sinners still warmed to him. There was no sense in which he was judgmental or self-righteous, but he was compassionate and kind. Shouldn't we want to be like the one who is so strong and yet so gentle? So one moment he's able to stand calmly in a raging storm and and just tell it to be quiet. And yet in another he's holding an unwanted child gently in his arms. Shouldn't we want to be like the one who is so wise That when the critics come with their questions and their debating, they cannot trip him up. And yet so patient that even when the disciples don't get it, time and time again, he, he still graciously, patiently teaches them. Shouldn't we want to be like the one who could have come to be honored and crowned and served, but he came to serve, to do whatever it takes for our ultimate good. And why? Because he wanted to help us and give us what we really needed. You see, God's plan was not to make us a little bit happy for a short time in this life, a sort of McDonald's buzz, but to rescue us and restore us and make us who we were meant to be, his children. That we might have the eternal joy with Jesus as part of his family. So that Jesus can be the firstborn. You see, that's what it says in verse 29. That he might be the firstborn. It means the first in the family, the top of the pile of a huge family of people who are enjoying God's new world. Anytime we experience something that is good and we enjoy it, we get just the tiniest foretaste of what that would be like. But God also uses our suffering, the bad things in this process, to how? Let me ask you, where where are you struggling at the moment? Where are you wishing that things could be different? Praying that God would take this away or fix it. And and that's a good prayer. It's right to pray those prayers. But are we praying even more that he would help us? In fact, these circumstances would help us to change us, to grow more like Jesus. That actually these struggles would be used by him for our ultimate good. Doesn't suffering just strip away all the things that we live for? 
that ultimately don't work, don't fulfill, don't last. And at the same time, often they expose our sin, our self-sufficiency, our anger, our independence, our discontentment, our idolatry, our I want it now, this way, my way kind of attitude. And actually, do you know, if we will let it, suffering should cause us to turn back to the only one that can help us and change us and grow us. So God, graciously through it, uses us to be more like Jesus to confess our sins and become more dependent on God, the one who made us, the one we're made for, the the one who gives us that deeper joy of being known by him. That actually these experiences can help us to see we are made for another world, a new world. They can help us actually to help others, to comfort others in their struggles. Many of you know back in uh, 2019 I was off ill for, for six months. Um, so unwell that I could really do nothing. I could hardly get out of bed. I could hardly walk down the road in the early days. And it was one of the toughest experiences of my life. And during that time, I, God sort of stripped away all the things I lived for. All the things I found my value and satisfaction in. And, and actually what he showed me was that underneath that, there was a lot of pride and self-sufficiency and arrogance. And I didn't realize it until he did this lack of trust in my God. And amidst the fears and the tears, what I found... Actually, for some of the moments during that period of suffering was the deepest moment of joy in my life. As I found when there was really nothing else that I had, all I needed in the God who loved me. That he was better than anything else. And in those moments, really had a foretaste of what lies ahead for us. I found that God was using all things for my good. Christian, brothers and sisters, this morning, do you know this? Do you believe this? That actually in all things, and that might mean now, what what you're going through at the moment, God is working for your good. What if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet? Do you know that suffering can also be used for your good? Because do you see that it's a sign that all is not right in this world? That actually we are not right. Do you see that what we need to do is return to the God who made us, who loves us, who longs for us, Do you see that there must be the hope of another better world? And maybe if that is you, Tuesday night, Life Explored will be a brilliant course for you to come on. Just just to think about what God has done to deal with the brokenness of this world, of us, 
and how he really is working for good. Because you see, Paul says, know this, God works for our good. But secondly, what we're going to see is that we need to know this, God will finish his work. Uh, in the middle of November, I ordered a new laptop. And so uh, the order confirmed email came into my inbox. And then the order dispatched email arrived. And then the order will arrive at this particular delivery date email arrived. Delivery date came, no laptop. A month later, after hours of online chat, calls to the company and to the courier, still no laptop. And in that moment, I did wonder, you know, will they ever deliver on what they promised? Am I ever going to see this? Is it ever like that with God for you, I wonder? As you hear the promises of God and you think, is he ever going to deliver? Is he ever going to finish his work? Will I be able to hang on long enough? Well, what Paul explains here in uh, the next verse is that what God has started, he will finish. That the plan he is working out is not an afterthought. Actually, it's something that started before the beginning of time. And it runs from eternity past to eternity future. And if we're Christians, we've been part of this plan all along. Have a look at verse 29. See, first of all, he, Paul writes here, for those God foreknew. Now, this, some, some people think oh, God sort of foreknewing. What this means is he sort of gets out some uh, big, massive, divine telescope and he looks into the future and he sees people who are going to sort of respond to him and, and therefore he decides to work in their lives. That's not what this word means at all. It's, it's a word about relationship. It, it means he knew us in the sense of he set his love on us. He chose us. And if we've been chosen, then there is an amazing set of events that is set up. Do you know dominoes? I don't mean the game where you try and match up the numbers. I mean when you get those tiles and you stack them up one after the other, and you knock one, and it just makes all the other ones knock down. Well, what Paul explains to us here is, if you like, a divine set of dominoes that once God has knocked the first one, all the rest are just inevitable. Look at this. So verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined them. Jump to 30. So foreknew, predestined, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, those God foreknew, those he set his love on, well, he predestined. He had a plan for. He also called. He saved them, made them part of his family. True for us if we are in Christ. And so justified, forgave us all our sin, declared us in the right with him. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd always lived like Jesus. 
And those he justified, he also glorified. Now I wonder as you're sitting there this morning, do you feel glorified? Do you feel you're in glory? I mean, what's going on here? This hasn't happened yet, and yet Paul's got it in the past tense. I think what's going on here is that it's as good as done. So, you know, when the computer company said uh, your laptop's going to be delivered, well, there was no guarantee. It has finally arrived, by the way. Do you love those people who you you say to them, any chance you could do this, and you know 100% it's going to be done? And if someone else came along to me and said, Ed, Ed, have you got that thing sorted? Have you got it dealt with? I go, yeah, it's done. It's sorted, because I know this person will do it. Well, that's what this is saying. Here's the wonderful thing. Glorified, God has got this. It's as good as done as we suffer. We have all sorts of questions, and we don't know all the reasons why. And yes, okay, sometimes there's a specific lesson God wants us to learn, but actually that's relatively rare. Often, more generally, what God does through our suffering is he uses uses it to make us more like Jesus, to grow us in Jesus. But remember this, as we're trying to cling on, as we're wanting to learn, that it doesn't depend on us. God is at work, and he will finish that work. What does that mean for you this year? As we go through 2024, what will show you that God is good? And is working for your good. Is good to you. It, it may mean wonderful blessing. It may mean that you will experience suffering. And we will need to know this. We'll need to know that he set his love on us from eternity past. That he sent his son to die for us, to save us. We'll need to know God is good. And we'll need to know he is working for our good. Right now, making us more like Jesus. Helping us to find the ultimate good of being loved and known by him and of finding our life and joy in him. And we'll need to know he will finish this work. Earlier this week, I was at the Irish Preachers Conference. And um, in one of the sessions, I was uh, sat beside a friend of mine. And this friend, well, he knows these things. He really does. This friend lost his mother to cancer. This friend has a, a lovely family, two kids, but one of his children has muscular dystrophy. Now, if you don't know what that disease is, it's a life-limiting disease, a muscle-wasting disease, which means this son, good prospects he might live to his early 30s. There is no cure. And yet, for this friend, 2023 has also been really hard for other reasons. 
Through no fault of his own in the last year, he lost his job, his home, and he had to leave his church. Now, as we chatted at the conference, it was clear to me there was no fake smile on his face. He had real questions. He was really hurting. And yet I, I know he understands and believes Romans 8.28. Because in that session, as we stood to sing, I heard him sing these words. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is well. It is well with my soul. You see, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, sovereign, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing God, our Father, you know what 2024 holds. You know what it holds for us as individuals, for us as a church. And, and we don't. And we know that for some of us it may be a very challenging year. And we ask that you would help us to know these truths that you have been speaking to us this morning. Would we know that you truly are a good God? who is for us, that you're a God who is so powerful, so sovereign that you're able to use even the good and the bad for our ultimate good. And would you help us by your grace to be made more and more like Jesus and give us a deeper dependency and trust in him that he will finish this work. Please we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing.